guess I gotta get this part to my fresh oh, 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 oh. I'm gonna tell it, then I gotta tell, tell it all. Doesn't every church play Usher before they, they do a sermon? Welcome to Prodigal Church. Uh, it's going to be a great Sunday. This series is going to be great. I'll talk more about it in a second. Let me give you a few kind of short housekeeping items. Number one, Sunday Fun Day is happening right now in the gym, and our team has just done an incredible job over there. And so if you have an elementary school kid, and they're in with you in the service, and you think, man, they would have fun with a glow-in-the-dark, loud music, crazy games, and well-supervised activity, uh, you can... M- Walk into the foyer and a staff member will take you over to the gym for that. Also, I want to uh, invite you all, if you've been coming to Prodigal Church for a while and uh, you are like, I like it, I'd like to hear more or I'd like to find out how to get more connected, I'd like to hear more about the story, core values, etc. Right after this service, we have something called Coffee with the Pastor and it's going to be in the room right over here. There's signs that will lead you there. There's Starbucks coffee there. There's some donuts and uh, we'll share a little bit of our story, uh, core values, uh, introduce you to our staff, and then it's a great time for you to ask any questions that you have about our church. And uh, it's only like 30, 35 minutes total, uh, and the coffee is free, so it's going to be right over here afterwards. We want to encourage you uh, to think about that as a potential next step for you. Um, Last housekeeping item. I don't know if you guys know this, but Prodigal Church here, we uh, are sports fans, and we have had a fantasy football league the last two years since our church has started. Uh, Last year uh, uh, was a great year. Uh, My first round pick uh, went out week one, David Johnson, so I did not make the finals. Um, But what we decided on for this year was uh, our our last place person, his punishment was to come up on stage and we have to introduce him as the the worst fantasy player at Prodigal Church. So Sean Jennings, come on up, buddy. Give Sean a round of applause. Sean... Sean is Darth Prater. He's 1 in 12. Uh, one win, 12 losses. And, uh, and so it was fun. Great job. He, he, <laughs> he runs all of our slides. He's here at 515 every single Sunday morning. And uh, maybe that's the reason why his team struggled. And so this is the face of the loser of Prodigal Church Year two fantasy football. Let me show you the face of the winner. Can we get Preston to come on up? This is Preston Johnson. He won last year. And uh, to show you guys the face of the winner of Prodigal Church, year two fantasy football, this guy. Thank you, Preston. Thank you. Thank you. I'd like to thank my wife. I'd like to thank Jesus Christ. We're just going to leave this right here. Uh, I'm Mahomes Mahomes, uh, and if you don't know what that means, watch next Saturday afternoon at Arrowhead Stadium. All right. Confessions of a church pastor. Confession one, I probably focus a little too much more on sports and fantasy football, even during Sunday mornings. Um, but I want to say this from the get-go. The last Sunday of this, of this series, and Megan mentioned this in the announcements, uh, will be a Q&A Sunday. And so in your bulletins, if you want to pull those out, at the bottom part of the sermon notes is a little section where you can write any questions. God, the Bible, our church, theology, me, and we as a team here at Prodigal will be honest and vulnerable about how we've grappled with some of these questions as well. And so we'll have a stool up here, and it'll kind of be chill, and uh, we're going to be answering uh, quite a few of the questions that get sent in. You can also email them uh, to us as well, and the email's on there. And again, you'll discover soon that this will be a great way for us to learn together and to make this room less of a sanctuary, more like a living room. 
uh, where we can just be honest and vulnerable together. Remember when you were a kid and you went to the store with your mom or your dad and then you ran into your teacher? Why is that the most awkward moment of a human being's life? Uh, Because when you're that young, you only have this lens of seeing them as a teacher-student, the world of the classroom. But when you see them in the outside world, in the real world, you have no language for that. It's it's off-putting. It's uncomfortable. Uh, They're a person of authority, and yet they're buying Cinnamon Toast Crunch, right? Like, you don't know what to do with that. Uh, And this isn't something that only happens when we're young. We often have a difficult time imagining people of authority being normal or average. I remember when I was a young pastor watching online sermons of these super pastors, amazed at how God was using them. I remember one time going to this Christian conference, pastor's conference, and this big name speaker's up there, and he's making everyone laugh at the right moment. And I'm right there with him going, <laughs> that was good. And then he's making everyone cry at just the right moment. And I'm like, powerful, you know? The, the, the amazing, miraculous stories he told had the crowd mesmerized. It was this powerful, amazing worship service. And then we break for lunch. And when we break for lunch, there's this massive line where we get our bag lunch. And uh, I, I wait, and it takes forever for me to get there. And there's four selection of chips you can choose from in your bag lunch, right? There's the, the blue Doritos, which is the number one draft pick. Then there's the red Doritos. And then those are gone first, Right? So then you're left with the potato chips that no one really likes, which is Fritos and Lay's. And so basic Lay's, so I'm there and all the good Doritos are gone. I grab the basic Lay's. And then I get to the part where you have to get your sandwich and there's two choices. There's a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, which is affectionately called PBJ. And then there's there's the tuna sandwich, okay? That's gross and disgusting. Uh, I, I don't like fish in general. Fish in a can, you're gross. And so <laughs> PBJ all the way. So I go, I eat my lunch, and I'm kind of by myself. I'm off to the side, and I notice this speaker that had me in tears, that had me rolling, uh, is, is getting his food. And, uh, and he's already got his food, and he's sitting at this table kind of talking to people. And he's, as he's pulling out his chips, I'm like, you know he got my blue Doritos. And he pulls it out, and it's basic Lay's, Okay. And not only is it basic lays, but like he's, he's, as he's watching, talking to people, he's going to town on these chips. He did the, like the, the tap and dump, like the basic lays, just loving them. And, and then as I'm, I had this moment, like, does he really like the basic lays or was he trying to be a servant leader and grabbing the chips that no one likes? And so I'm just, I, I, I'm, I'm astounded and focused in on this man of God eating these basic lays and just going to town on them. I mean, licking the bag dry. And, and so I, the question comes to my mind, like, uh, is it, did he get the, the, the PBJ or did he get the gross tuna? And so I wasn't sure what to do, but there was only one thing to do. Uh, this, whole big, this whole potato chip thing had normalized this man to me. Uh, he, he's eating the worst chips available just like me, and somehow made him appear normal. Uh, Now, the whole time I'm watching him, I finish my box lunch, I eat fast, and I begin to wonder, did he like those? So I determined to find out, and I've got to find out which sandwich he chose. And so I walk up to him, 
And I had seen him talk to a few people, and people said, oh, good sermon, or, you know, those kinds of things. And he was super gracious and nice. So I walked past him, and I become one of those pastors. And I say, hey, man, really good sermon today, sermage. <laughs> really good sermon today, bro. And I don't know why I call him bro, but I did. And he says, thanks a lot. And then I glance at his bag, and it's a half-eaten PBJ. And I was like, you're not gross. PBJ all the way, buddy. You know, I kind of walk away. But this whole lunch episode normalized someone who I thought was supernatural. He became natural eating basic Lay's. And throughout this series, all of us have this, I'd like us to have this basic Lay's moment. We're all in this thing called life together, and we're all trying to figure out how to love God and love people in a greater capacity. Nobody walks around with a halo all the time. Nobody's perfect. Nobody's marriage is perfect. Nobody's family is perfect. Nobody's church is perfect. And no pastor is perfect. And I don't know if you know this, but there is something called the minister's mystique. And I heard about this first when I was in seminary. Uh, I, was, I was a full-time youth pastor going to seminary. And uh, uh, in some seminaries, they will teach you that you need to stay at a distance from those in your congregation that there needs to almost be a wall between you and the people in your church because if they saw you and you, uh, if, they, if they see you like they see everybody else, then they won't listen to your spiritual counsel. And my heart revolted when I heard this. Always do your best to project the perfect pastor, the perfect family, the perfect church. I, I, but I want to say this from the get-go and this will be on the screens, projected perfection is not the way of Jesus. I think honesty and vulnerability are the way of Jesus. Projected perfection is not the way of Jesus. And throughout this series, our goal is not not about giving you solutions to your vulnerabilities. Vulnerability is the goal. Uh, It's the goal in our own spirituality. It's one of our core values. Brene Brown says this, vulnerability is the birthplace of love. Belonging, joy, courage, empathy, and creativity. It is the source of hope, empathy, accountability, and authenticity. If we want greater clarity in our purpose or deeper and more meaningful spiritual lives, vulnerability is the path. Yes to all of this, okay? Vulnerability, honesty, authenticity, being real, whatever you want to call it, it is essential to our spiritual lives. And here's the reality of it. Sometimes projected perfection permeates our lives more than we'd like to admit. It runs rampant on social media. We don't post uh, all the other pictures. We post the great ones. Uh, But it can also run rampant in the church. Projected perfection. It's something that most of us have struggled, and we can even see it in people in the Bible. And so we were going to look at Moses today. We studied Moses and his early life back in October in our Exodus series. And so if you want to kind of catch up with that, you can. But uh, Moses, God calls him out of Egypt. He frees the people, the 10 plagues, let my people go, cross through the Red Sea. Then they wander in the wilderness. We, didn't, we stopped them once they got to the wilderness, but they wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Then... Uh, Uh, He goes up to the mountain, the mountain of God, Mount Sinai, and he receives the Ten Commandments. And that's where we're going to pick up this story. This is the law of God, Exodus 34, verse 29. It'll be on the screens. It came about when Moses was coming down from Mount Sinai, and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hands, the Ten Commandments, as he was coming down the mountain, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone 
because of his speaking with him, God. So when Aaron and all the sons of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. Moses goes up to the mountain, talks to God, and he has this encounter with God. And now as he's coming down with these Ten Commandments, his face is glowing because he encountered God. Verse 31, then Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the rulers in the congregation returned to him, and Moses spoke to them. Afterward, all the sons of Israel came near, and he commanded them to do everything that the Lord had spoken to him on Mount Sinai. When Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever Moses went in before to the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off until he came out. And whenever he came out and spoke to the sons of Israel, uh, what he had been commanded. The sons of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone. So Moses would replace the veil over his face until he went in to speak with him. You see what happens here, right? Moses gets the Ten Commandments. He comes down. His face glows. The people are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's too much. That scares us. The glory of God's too much for us. So Moses puts on a veil when he speaks to them. Then when he goes back up to commune with God, he becomes unveiled, comes back down the mountain, puts it back on for the people. This kind of almost reinforces the super pastor, super spiritual leader persona, right? It's Moses who speaks to God. We listen to him. He goes up to the mountain and speaks to God because he's close to God, comes down, gives us the message. After he speaks, his face is glowing. Now, let's get a little bit theological here. And so this is where I want you to put your thinking caps on. If we're back in grade school, this is what they would tell you. Get your thinking caps on because let's go into the New Testament and see what Paul has to say about this encounter in Exodus 34, and it's mind-blowing. 2 Corinthians 3, it's on the screens. But if the ministry of death in letters engraved on stones, okay, Ten Commandments, came with glory so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face, fading as it was, how will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more glory? For if the ministry of condemnation, the law, has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. For indeed, what had glory, in this case, has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. For if that which fades away was with glory, much more that which remains is in glory. So he's saying this. He's saying, Moses came down with the law of God, and the law was condemnation. Do this, don't do that. And the law brought condemnation. It brought us aware of our, of our sinfulness, and no one could fulfill the law perfectly. doesn't matter how great you are. There are 623 commandments in the Old Testament, and nobody can follow them perfectly. Every person will fail and miss. And it shows us the sinfulness that we have. So he says, Moses came down with the law. Had, there was a glory in that. There was a glory. His face shone. But he says, but it also was condemnation. It brought condemnation. He says, how much more because of the spirit, because of what Jesus has done and unleashed into humanity, will there be much more glory that is lasting because of righteousness? Paul then continues, verse 12, and this is where it's, it's going to rock your world. Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech and are not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. But their minds were hardened, for until this very day at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted, because it was removed in Christ. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart, whenever the law is read. 
But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty or freedom. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord to the Spirit. Moses didn't want the people to know when the glory left. So he leaves the veil on so as that the people to think that he always operates under the assumption uh, that he has the same bright, shiny glory that he had coming down the mountain. Paul's throwing Moses under the bus here. Paul is saying, unlike Moses, we're not leaving the veil on. We're coming with unveiled faces. So there's no confusion that the glory of God comes and goes. Paul is saying Moses was being disingenuous by keeping the veil on all the time because it had faded away. But he wanted the people to think he operates in the Shekinah glory of God all the time. I've seen this in the church. I've seen pastors Walk with these veils on. They've got it together. They've got all the right answers. There are two ways to do ministry, their way and the wrong way. And there are two ways to read the Bible, their way and the wrong way. They, they walk in this assumption of this pastoral mystique, this minister's mystique. And they're keeping the veil on. They're pretending to be perfect. It's not reality. A pastor friend of mine told me about a church growth conference that he had to go to. And the, the conference was called um, uh, 24 to Double. And the premise of the conference is this, is that uh, if you just follow these principles, no matter how big your church is, in 24 months, your church will double in size. So my buddy was super skeptical, but he goes to the conference. And here's one of the things this company told these church pastors. He said this, follow these principles and your church will double in 24 months, in two years. He says, number one, as quick as you can, no matter how big or small your church is, get a video camera of the pastor as he's speaking so that it can be on a big screen. People want their pastors to be larger than life. And that might be true, that people want that. The trouble is, no one's larger than life. And no matter how big you build your Emerald City Church, no matter what, it's always just some guy behind the curtain, right? So you can project this amazing, look at me, look at us. I've got the pastoral mystique. I have the spirit. I have the interpretations. I have more of God than anybody else. Thus saith the Lord to me, now I say it to you. It's always just a man behind the curtain. It's always going to be a small person. So as a pastor of prodigal, I keep the veil on. And, and you guys will all live under the assumption that I always operate in the anointing of the Lord. Everybody wins. I get to feel good about myself because everybody thinks everything's perfect. And you guys get a pastor that's larger than life. But you see, it's a dangerous thing to keep that veil on because in, inevitably you will see that there are no such thing as wizards. It's always just a guy. It's always just a girl. There is a not-so-famous book by Nathaniel Hawthorne. Nathaniel Hawthorne, he's the one who wrote Scarlet Letter. 
he's most known for that. But he wrote a short story called The Minister's Black Veil. The Minister's Black Veil. And uh, it's a fascinating story. And in the story, we have this preacher who all of a sudden one day begins to wear this black veil all the time. He comes out of his house, walks down the street, black veil on. And he's greeting people and the veil covers everything except for his mouth and chin. And the people are horrified. They greet him in return. But when he is not around, they say to each other, what happened to our pastor? They start talking to each other. Has he lost his mind? Why is he wearing this veil? And then he gets up on a Sunday morning, walks through the church, and he preaches his sermon. He's still wearing the black veil. So day after day, he just keeps the black veil on, and nobody knows what's going on. No one asks him. Nobody asks him. Everybody wonders. Nobody asks. As the story progresses, we discover that for the pastor, the veil is a confession of a secret sin. And this man of God feels like he almost has to do penance because of the secret sin that he has held. So he leaves the veil on the rest of his life. In fact, that's how the story ends. He dies and he won't take off the veil. And it's fascinating because wherever he goes, he has the veil on, it makes people uncomfortable. They get squeamish around him. They don't know what to do with this. And at one point, the people confront him and are like, if you did something, it's in the past. Just take the veil off. You're making us uncomfortable. No need for the black veil. But while the veil disturbs some of the people, the other things that happen is that people who are struggling with sin... The people who are the homeless and the drug addicts and the lonely and the uh, forgotten and the pushed aside, the bad people in the village, they begin to identify with this minister. Because his veil is very different than the veil that Moses had. Moses' veil concealed his humanity. This pastor's veil made it evident exposed his humanity. Lest there be any confusion that he is different than them. Some are repelled by this because they want their pastors to be larger than life. Others are drawn in. And the conclusion of this short story by Nathaniel Hawthorne is that the primary reason people were uncomfortable with the the pastor's black veil is because it reminded them of their own black veils. It reminded them of their own secret sins their own issues. It becomes a disruption in their own lives. So here's our problem. Instead of leaning into vulnerability, we cling to religiosity to present perfection. Instead of being honest and real with where we are and who we are and who we know we're called to be and what our struggles and shortcomings are, we project perfection in the form of religiosity. What's the answer? Jesus. Jesus is the answer. Jesus frees us from religiosity. Jesus is the only person that we can look to, that we can follow, that will never let us down. God is like Jesus. God has always been like Jesus. There has never been a time when God wasn't like Jesus. We haven't always known this, but now we do. Hebrews 1.3 says this, The sun is the radiance of God's glory in the exact representation of his being. I want to invite Noe and the worship band to come up. Every human will let you down. Brittany, our children's pastor, will let you down. You're going to expect a call back sometime. You send an email. 
Brittany's not amazing at that. She's amazing at a ton of other things. I did, this is not in my notes. Sorry, Britt. There'll be a time she lets you down. Myself as your pastor, there will be times I will let you down. Not just, wow, that sermon was average. No, I'll let you down. And you'll let someone else down. We're human. We're sinners. We're all in this journey together. It's all about Jesus. We're all trying to follow him. Uh, we're not trying to follow people. We're not trying to follow someone, a man behind the curtain pulling levers. I am the great and powerful. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. No, we are trying to follow Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let's, let's just pretend you're in a party. And you hear that a number of people are talking at this party about how cool this person named Grace is. And you find out at the party that Grace is actually there. So you've heard enough intriguing information, you decide you want to get to know her, and all of a sudden, Grace walks into the room. Clearly, the best way to get to know Grace is to go over and talk with her. Religion is like a person at the party talking about Grace with everyone else, but not actually talking to Grace. That's religion. That's religiosity. Sure, all paths will get you that far, but you can only know about a person from other people so much. But to really get to know someone, and not just to know about someone, you need to actually talk to the person. See, if grace is just a message, a collection of facts, then you can get to know that message through anyone. Many paths will lead to that knowledge. But if grace is a person, then the only way you can really know grace is through grace. So back to the party, there you are, and you're trying to get up the courage to talk to this person named Grace. Talking to everybody, you stop talking to everybody else. You want to walk right up to Grace and talk to her. Wouldn't it be wonderful? And while you're trying to muster up the courage to talk to Grace, you find out that Grace has been looking for you the whole time and couldn't wait to meet you. Wouldn't it be great if Grace told you that she'd been looking for you all night and couldn't wait to get to know you? That's the message of Jesus. Grace is a person, and his name is Jesus. And grace is the one we should show everyone else who will let us down, every human, because they will. I will. Me included. Let's declare in Jesus' name that probable church will be a place of grace. That we extend it to others because we've been extended that from Jesus. God, I pray in your name that we become a place of grace. That we become a place where honesty and authenticity and vulnerability and being real and being that that's the norm that religiosity fades in Jesus name in honesty in heartfelt bearing our souls to you remains that's the path to transformation not religious activities thank you Jesus for showing us the way it's not about religion it's about you so God, make us brave. Send us out into a world that needs you so desperately. Make us brave, God, to be able to be honest and real and vulnerable. We need you in Jesus' name.